Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Dollars and Cents Podcast with Nicole Rumido. Nicole, good to see you and good to be with you again. Always good to be with you as well, Bill. We are recording this in the dead of winter. It is cold where you are. It is cold where I am. I hope your conversation is, is maybe heated or something. I mean, some warmth. I, I don't know what's going to warm people up more than a rousing discussion around muni bonds. Whoa! <laughs> Hot dog. I'm just teasing. Actually, it is going to be a very interesting conversation because I have a good friend in studio with me today. Hi, Matt. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I appreciate you taking time out from your busy schedule. So yeah, Bill, what we're going to talk about today, I have Matt Bernardi, who is with Bernardi Securities, and he's in the studio. And we're going to kind of talk all things muni bonds today. I think it's a big part of the investing world that Maybe it doesn't get as much news as the equity markets and things like that, but certainly is something that you want to keep an eye on in your portfolio, given where we are today with the Fed. I couldn't agree more. And I actually will find this conversation interesting because a lot of your viewers know this, listeners know this, the bond market dwarfs the stock market. So you're talking about big stuff today. Yeah, exactly. And it is interesting because really... I mean, before the the Fed was starting to raise rates, the news was, I would say, almost solely focused on the equity markets. I think certainly you guys have had more news uh, in your neck of the woods these past you know, couple of years. Yeah, for good reasons or bad. Yeah, exactly. And I know we're going to have an opportunity to talk yep. through both of those, right? I know you and I have lived enough life to know uh, really with any situation, there's opportunities and there's vulnerabilities. All right. Well, before we jump into our topic, I just want to give our listeners a little background about uh, you, Matt. So as I mentioned in studio today, Matt Bernardi, he's a senior vice president at Bernardi Securities and Bernardi Asset Management. He assists individuals and institutions with managing their separate account municipal bond portfolios. And when he's not working hard on behalf of his clients, he lives on the northern suburbs of Chicago with his lovely wife and two daughters, and child number three is due any week now. So I really appreciate you taking time out, which I'm sure is uh, very hectic in your household right now. Always will be, yeah. When you're not talking bonds or obviously just trying to navigate two children's schedules, what do you and Chrissy like to do for fun? You know, we're chasing down the kids most hours of the day. We got birthday parties on the weekends. I love history. So if I'm not helping out with the kids, it's I probably have a history book in my hands. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so Which one are you reading currently? So I'm reading a book about uh, Napoleon. There's oh. a Ridley Scott movie that's coming or just came out. Just came out. Yes. So I'm excited to see that. I picked that up in anticipation of that movie. Well, the book's always better, right? It is. And I've, I've heard pretty bad reviews about the movie. Yeah. I guess the movie centers around a lot around Josephine, his wife. Oh, okay. Who is not well covered in this book because she was not a very impressive person. Oh, interesting. As was their relationship, according to this author. So I find that angle interesting. Then I'm reading a book about uh, Rome, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which is one of the kind of seminal works on Rome. Gibbon, 
I think I've heard, I can't remember the name of the book, but I think I have heard it and have had recommendations to read it. The, so. the, Ro- the Rome the one. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. thick. It's a tomb, but it gives you basically from Marcus Aurelius on the fall of the Roman Empire. So yes, yeah. Well, certainly given uh, as Bill alluded to the temperatures we have here in the Chicagoland area, great time if you can hide from your kids. Yeah. Great time for it's, you to catch <laughs> up through that. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading a paragraph at a time until, you know, I'm called to clean, clean up the mess of Cheez-Its in the Oh, evening. no. Or maybe you could incorporate that into story time. Yeah. That'll get him to sleep right away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. We'll appreciate a little peek into your personal life. Why don't we, you know, as as we kind of talked about, when, when people think of their portfolio or the markets, I think people generally tend to focus on the equity side. You know, I know in talking with you, we'd kind of talk about bonds generally should be kind of your mattress money or sleep at night money. I don't think that's really been the case. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but over the last 24 plus months. So before we kind of get into current conditions, can you maybe give our listeners a little background on what do we mean when we're talking about the municipal market or municipal bonds? Yep. So yeah, it is traditionally over decades, a sleepy part of the fixed income market and just markets in general. We were whipsawed by various events and Fed policy and other types of policies the last couple of years. And we can get into that in a little bit. But the municipal market, it's a over $4 trillion capital market where municipalities, so municipalities, anything as large as a state down to a county, a town, a school district, and even as small as a special service area, or a TIF, which is composed of a couple city blocks or dozens, thousands of houses, issues debt to finance local infrastructure. So your average municipality varies on what that municipality looks like and what the purpose of the existence of that municipality is. There's tens of thousands of municipalities. It's a very localized and distinctive market. And those that money goes to finance infrastructure. So hallways, roads, sewers, public schools, and the market, uh, it's very local and it's locally owned as well. It's about 65% owned by individual investors, whether that's through a separate account, separately managed account, or indirectly owned through a mutual fund or, uh, or an ETF. Yeah. And those for our listeners, those are different structures or different ways to invest, not only in municipal bonds, but in taxable bonds, stocks, real estate, things like that. So we're going to be talking about the bonds. And then what Matt was referring to for our listeners is you could own them in different types of account structures. So depending on how you're having your money managed, the size of your portfolio, any or all of those might be applicable to you. So is there anything else you wanted to highlight on the muni bond market, kind yeah. of just as a yeah, primer? I guess is in terms of you know the uniqueness of it, it's, it's a very sleepy asset class. It's unique in a couple ways in that it's typically traditionally pretty sturdy from a credit perspective. Default rates are very low. Underlying sources of revenue that pay your bonds are relatively not very volatile. It's also unique in that it majority of the market is tax exempt. So the coupon interest you receive is exempt from federal income taxation and sometimes state, depending on what what uh, state you live in. That is primarily why investors buy municipal bonds. There's a number of qualitative factors about the market that I think are fascinating that aren't widely discussed or followed, and especially in today's investment allocation parlance, where you have a lot of qualitative themes pushing asset asset flows. You have ESG, you have impact investing. The municipal bond market, in my opinion, is the original and largest, most efficient impact investments. It's been around for over 200 years. 
The first uh, municipal bond was used to finance a canal in New York City in 1812, I think. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's an, it's an over $4 trillion market. And municipal bonds finance over 75% of our country's infrastructure. So roads, tollways, water utilities. And these are projects that we're interacting with on a daily basis, multiple times a day, That are that's really making a huge impact on our communities. There's a second aspect of the municipal bond market that I think is really interesting. That's the governance framework, and that it's, it's a heavily decentralized market where control over the projects, the vetting of the project, it's designed in affordability, the approval of that project, the funding of the project, and the paying of the project is all handled at the local level. You don't have a politician in DC allocate allocating tens of millions of dollars to the mayor in Arlington Heights to rebuild the high school because they were in the same fraternity in, in college or in the same political party. So it's a system that is very efficient versus a more centralized is kind of prone to corruption and doesn't reward the best run districts. It's it's a framework where there's a direct link between the quality of the governance and the cost of financing. The better run municipalities pay lower borrowing costs, therefore they benefit taxpayers. And because of this local control, whether it's the taxpayers paying for the projects or the local officials running and vetting that project, you have a lot of skin in the game. So you have a low probability of bridges to nowhere and a misallocation of tax dollars. And on top of that, you have high levels of competition between towns, between states, between school districts to provide projects that are very well done, but at affordable costs. And if taxpayers or constituents are unhappy, they can vote with their feet. Right. And you have this positive feedback loop of efficiency and allocation of tax dollars that that aspect of the market, it's it's really founded in our federalist system of government and it works extremely well. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never thought about it as the original ESG investment, but you're right. I mean, not only are you kind of investing in your infrastructure and things like that, but you have the opportunity, if you feel it's a good investment, to really invest in your own backyard. Exactly. Yep. And there's certain states are smart about it where they incentivize residents of that state to invest locally through certain tax breaks. And so you see that play out in certain yields in certain states, but it's, it's a huge, huge market and it has a very sleepy reputation. I mean, trading in the municipal bond market shuts down at 1230, you know, and the headlines that we get in terms of defaults are once in every 10 years, you know, in terms of maybe a big default. And so it's a very quiet market. It doesn't make a lot of headlines, but it's it's grounded in really what this country was founded on and states' rights and lo- local control. Right. The the Jeffersonian type of philosophy. Well, and I like what you said too. Like if the funds aren't used as promised or the projects don't turn out either as promised or when promised or things like that, like you said, people get to vote. And uh, certainly for these local ones, whether it's your council or your mayor, your vote definitely uh, can uh, weigh in. Of course. And typically that mayor or that local board, those are people who live in the community. True. Yeah. And they're very invested in that community reputationally yes, um, as well. So there's a lot of skin in in the game with that kind of decentralized framework. What that leads to is a, it's a very complicated market in terms of issuers. There's tens of thousands of issuers. It's not like the corporate bond market where you have four or 5,000 different issuers. That's a very scalable from an investment standpoint, a very scalable market. The municipal bond market, there are, I think, 8,000 issuers in the state of Illinois. So it leads to this very localized, kind of somewhat complicated, maybe you could characterize it as bureaucratic market. 
but that's the trade-off you get for that local control. Right. I think too, and I know we're going to get to it, also talks about how if municipal bonds are going to be a part of your portfolio, what's uh, at least in today's environment, because you've mentioned it historically is known as a sleepy part of the portfolio or a sleepy market, certainly where the Fed has gone and then what where we think they're going to be going, I think has led for a more active hand in this part of the portfolio. So why don't we, I know we're going to get into that, but do you want to maybe kind of start talking about how the market has become awakened, if you will, yeah. given our buddies at the Fed? Maybe yeah. do a little bit of what, what you guys were doing or what happened in 2023. And just for our listeners, and I think they know, we're going to just talk generalities. Um, we're not making any recommendations or things like that, but it's going to be more from a thematic perspective for our conversation yeah. today. Yeah, I, I think it's really helpful. Uh, I figured you'd, you'd ask about, you know, kind of looking back at exactly what we've been through. And Where are we going? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where do we who, think we're going? Knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, I, you know, look for some quotes to, to kind of try to define what we went through in around the COVID era, plus a couple years. Right. And I don't like the guy, but I really like his quote. Lenin, you know, said there are <laughs> decades where nothing happens. And then there are weeks when decades happen. Oh, that's a good one. I wish somebody else said it, but yes. I feel like COVID 2020 to 2022, it was three years, but you had such a density of extreme events. And there, are, you know, the positive side of me, our market was very well tested, very well stress tested during that time, the, the municipal bond market from a credit standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then from a portfolio management, duration management standpoint, portfolios were, were tested as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and we learned a lot from this experience. You know, credit wise, your average municipality entered the COVID era, COVID crisis on very strong footing. Reserves were at their highest levels, record highs. Um, so they, they rainy day funds were very well funded going into 2020. So they were prepared for COVID, but you had that extreme shutdown that the acute economic shutdown. And what you saw was municipalities quickly adjust. They paused projects. They fired a lot of employees. Over a million people at the state and local level were, were let go Wow! within a matter of months. And we only just within the last couple of months, got back to that original employment level at the state and local level that we were pre-COVID. So you saw a really quick adaption at the municipal level from a credit standpoint to that economic crisis. You saw it demonstrated a lot of, of flexibility, and that was in the immediate immediacy of the crisis. And then as time went on in 2020, 2021, you had a lot of stimulus money hit the books of municipalities. So really what happened coming out of the crisis was that municipalities were on better uh, credit footing after the crisis than they were going in, which is extremely unique. Yes. Anytime you have a recession. During the great financial crisis, municipalities were licking their wounds for a very long time. Right, for many years. Detroit went bankrupt in 2013. Uh, you know, the great financial crisis was four or five years before that. Right, that's um, true. And I'm talking mostly about the average credits that we look at, which is suburban, rural, property tax-backed, central purpose, revenue type of bonds. Um, there's certain sectors of the market that had a much harder experience, mass transit, urban environments, and are still struggling because of the whole work from home dynamics, you know, the commercial property uh, dynamics, that market's having a little bit of a tough time. Some yeah, I think they're just at the beginning of that. Yeah, especially if rates stay high, you're going to have a lot of these commercial property loans 
forced to reset Play. at higher rates. So cities get a lot of their revenue from commercial property. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years, assuming rates stay high. That's right. a big if, right? That's a big if. But definitely the main takeaway from the COVID crisis and its immediate aftermath is that municipal credit is resilient and highly adaptable to uh, severe economic stress. Are you seeing, I mean, I know you just said they were in pretty good shape with their rainy day funds, which for our listener would be like our emergency savings account. So cash on hand that isn't earmarked for a specific expense or project with, you know, there's, there's talk about a lot of these municipalities haven't um, spent the COVID funds. How are you guys thinking about that? If either looking at what the run rate would be for those funds to be used, or I know there's been some talk at the federal level as they're trying to um, attempt to balance their budget. You know, there've been talk about some clawbacks and things like that. A lot of those (laughs) stimulus dollars that were distributed to municipalities are mandated to be spent or earmarked in the next year, maybe two. They have or will be spent. Okay. And if um, they don't, then will they go back? Or they're just saying, yeah, if, I'm, if sure. I'm the boss in charge of my budget, it's kind of a use it or lose it. Yeah, so I'm probably going to try and use it. I don't know the exact definite spending mandates. Sure. No, no, I get it. They're they're pretty stringent and the municipalities will find a way to spend that money or, or earmark it on projects. We're certain from a credit standpoint, we're wary of municipalities that use those funds for traditional operating expenses versus yeah. one-off investments. Right. They're trying uh, to use it to cover payroll or general yeah. operating. Pension funding and things yes. like that. Oh, yes. I, I know we're going to talk about that. My listeners know you want to get my blood pressure up. Start yeah. talking about these pensions. Exactly. So there's there's certainly an aspect of the market where um, some municipalities are use that to bridge the gap for some fixed costs that have been around for a long time. And those issuers are the ones you're going to want to keep an eye on over the next number of years or or within a recessionary scenario. All right. So we talked a little bit about looking back. Why don't we, I mean, normally we don't talk about when we're talking and stuff, but we are mid-January here, 2024. We know that the Fed has started to, you know, telecast their intentions, as I know you and I are talking about what the Fed's trying to do, because they're trying to thread the needle. And the markets, I don't want to say hear what they want to hear, but I know they try to will the Fed to do what they want to do. So again, it's a point in time, very fluid world. What are your kind of, what would you like to share with our listeners about where, where the Fed is at and some things to consider within the muni bond market? Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're talking about the Fed and where they're at, it's you inherently have to talk about the macro, which is I love. It's really fun. And I'm happy to give you my view or framework of the situation. From an at portfolio construction standpoint, we don't really use the macro at all. We're really bottom up individual security selection. I think trying to pinpoint the macro where we're going to be in the near term, medium term is, is especially long term is very hard, but it's fun. And and I love Well, it is fun, but I do feel like we could just get our magic eight ball out exactly. when we were kids and yeah. have just a good a chance of getting it right or wrong. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I'll dust that off for you. Macro wise growth overall seems to kind of be treading water right now. Uh, we're not sinking, but it's not necessarily comfortable. The country though is really underpinned by a very strong consumer. I saw that Black Friday sales were up seven and a half percent. Cyber Monday was up nine and a half percent. Coming into this year, everybody or last year, 2023, people were expecting a recession. Coming into this year, a soft landing is being priced in. It's kind of flipped. 
you know, last year, I think people were had a 20, 30% chance of a soft landing and a 60, 70%, 80% chance of a recession. And it seems to have flipped this year. Payroll numbers we had in early January were mixed. Um, it was a good headline number, but a really bad household survey number. And then in terms of inflation, which is really what's driving the Fed right now, we have two gauges. We have PCE and we have the CPI. The CPI came out last Thursday. It was higher than expected. It was 3.4. But the core component, which is kind of the sticky component, it doesn't include food and energy, has moved lower nine consecutive months in a row. And 15 of the last 15 months, it's lower in 14 of those. So the trend of inflation is very good. Normalizing PCE inflation, a different type of inflation measurement that the Fed actually prefers to use, is in the twos now. And that two handle is kind of the, the momentous level where the Fed wants to get. They want right. To get that's to been it. their target number. Exactly. 2%. There's an economist I follow, Steve Anastasio. Look him up. I highly recommend um, looking into his work because he does a really good job at breaking out the components of CPI mm. and what's driving it lower, yeah. higher or lower. He has an interesting take in that if you break out the rent, the real estate component of CPI, which is a huge contingent, it's I think 30 to 40%. And you actually measure it based off of current real estate rents versus how the government does it, which is more of a lagging, smoothed indicator. CPI is under 2%. Interesting. Mission accomplished. Right. Check the box. Now, the Fed is is going to wait to see that 2% or close before they really feel comfortable cutting. But inflation's in, in, a, in a really good really good spot. You know, At the end of the day, it comes down to the consumer and how the consumer's spending. And the consumer got us through last year. Um, and avoided the recession. So we'll see you know, how 2024 has to play out. Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Because just like you were talking about the municipalities or are- going to have to spend, you know, use it or lose it with those COVID funds. I know uh, when I was looking at the latest books and numbers that were coming out for Q1 of this year, I mean, the consumers have been spending down a lot of their excess reserves as well. That's what a lot of economists are looking at, that excess reserve. Right. Yeah. I mean, at at the height of it, I think it was like 3 trillion. The consumers had excess cash. And I think we're down closer to 1 trillion now. I think most projections are calling for it to go to zero at some point this year. Yeah. And I know you look at credit card balances, they're inching up. I would say they're not near as historical highs where we have been, but- so to your point, um, I know you know the consumers drive two thirds of our economy. Yep. We're running down on our cash and starting to carry those balances. Yep. I think that is something to watch. And then you're going to have that lagging aspect of monetary policy. Exactly. Where a five percent, five and a half percent Fed funds rate doesn't hit consumers immediately, especially people who locked in those mortgages at three under four percent. But over time, you're going to have that lagging effect of those high rates work its way through the economy and people locking in higher mortgages, which leads to a lower 
capacity to spend. Right. And that's only going to come to fruition. I think too, as you mentioned, I mean, the Fed and they know it. And I think most people know it, you know, they do their their monetary policy and that doesn't take effect overnight or even yep. next month or even next quarter. Yep. So we've got some time to see. And I think that's why the Fed's trying to tread carefully before they start to reduce or lower yep. rates. Yeah. The Fed started raising rates in 2022, but the Fed funds rate did not get above CPI until earlier 2023. I think it was March, maybe. So there you have it. And so that's kind of a big indicator of if the Fed's actually tight or not. So you could argue the Fed really wasn't restrictive until last spring. So we haven't been in this tightness, tightening cycle for that. For all that long. Yeah, which is why we maybe part of the reason we avoided the recession last year. Very good point. So with that, if we do come in with a soft landing or, you know, the Fed does start to feel comfortable about where the indicators are that they're monitoring and they do start to lower rates, you know, that interestingly, I think you agree with me, there's that provides opportunities and vulnerabilities, again, for the bond part of your portfolio. And I know today we're focused on the muni bond port part of the portfolio. So I know one of the opportunities potentially could be if rates do go down, you could get some capital appreciation or growth on your existing bonds. Mm -hmm. So just as an example for our listeners, if I have a muni bond that's paying 4% and rates go down 1%, I have someone who's looking to invest in bonds, they could go out and get a new bond for 4% or they might be willing to pay me more, or I know the words premium in your world, Mm -hmm. then my bond is worth at face value because of the higher interest rate. And I know I simplified that. There's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think that's one opportunity that we haven't had for a while in the bond market. Yeah. Ultimately, your bond portfolio, the medium to long-term return is going to be driven by that yield you purchase at. That yield to worse and or yield to maturity. Yields today are higher than they were a couple of years ago. The 10-year treasury is above its 10 and 20-year average. It's a little bit of a little bit above 4% last time I checked. And it's slightly above its 30-year average yield. Yields are relatively high, nominally speaking. And to my first point, your your bond portfolio is going to be driven by that yield, the long-term return. It's set up for pretty good returns. If you buy a bond today and tomorrow market yields drop, the price on that bond is going to go higher. Investors are going to be willing to pay you a higher price to purchase that bond, a lower yield. Typically, what we're targeting for clients is principal preservation and income. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see rates not go much lower, frankly. I agree. Um, it's really been nice to get paid as a fixed income investor, yep. right? It's been a long time since you and I have seen that on t- behalf of our clients. Yeah. And it's it's been really nice to have uh, some yield back on that side of the portfolio. Exactly. It's, it's a silver lining of the higher rate environment. Yep. In the short term, you see yields go higher and therefore your portfolio value is going lower. Really what that means is as it's turning over, your portfolio is turning over, you're buying higher yields, you're increasing your income potential. There's an aspect of the market from a macro standpoint, the Fed, that they're becoming less and less involved in the market through their quantitative tightening, rolling off their bond portfolio. Right. Their bond portfolio got up to almost $9 trillion. Oof. It's, I think, around seven and a, and a half, $7.6 trillion. So seeing that go lower every week, I love looking at that, seeing that roll off every week is a really good thing, I think, for the country, but it's also a very good thing for our clients. It's 
they're becoming less involved. It's becoming more of a market, less of a controlled economy as the Fed Got steps it. steps out. I mean, 7.6 is it's over 30% of our GDP that the Fed owns in bonds. Before the great financial crisis, it was around 5% of our GDP. Wow. So something changed. Well, we've had like your with your opening quote, I feel like that is, I know, well over a decade, but I feel like we've had a few decades packed into this prior 10, 15 years. Yeah. And the, we've the, had a lot of outlier events, right? I think where you and I would be like, oh, okay, this will be a once in a generation that will have this type of outlier event. Yeah. And I feel like we've had a few of those, right? Well, we've had, not only have we had outlier events, I think we've also had outlier answers, responses to those events. Oh, okay. Interesting. The great financial crisis, having a major financial crisis recession is not exactly unique in the history of financial markets in this country, but the Fed's balance sheet to go from 5 to 30% of GDP is a very unique response to an extreme event. Yes. You could frame that with COVID. You could frame that about a lot of things exactly. that happens. And that kind of takes you back to investing and allocating assets, trying to predict. You're, ne- you're never going to be able to predict what happens, let alone the response to what happens. And a lot of times the response to what happens completely drive markets a different way. I mean, mo- money supply spiked 40% coming out of COVID. And then we were whipsawed into the most a huge tightening cycle, global tightening cycle a year later. And so you, you had two extreme monetary policy kind of events within two years and bond portfolios were, were whipsawed both ways with that. You know, the reason bond portfolios went down so much in 2022 was because you could argue they were artificially high in 2020 to 21 with the Fed moving its balance sheet from four to nine trillion. Right. It's kind of artificial. Back to your original question about performance. Yes, if rates go lower, you could see some good performance. I'd rather not see that if it's a very aggressive Fed. Yeah. Well, because if that's happening, it means we're in a recession yeah. and it's not a, you know, it's a serious one, right? Serious. The economy is tanking or, exactly. or is not is not doing very well at all. That's what I think like you're saying. I, I love how you're trying to say, hey, we need to consider even more so than both sides of the coins, but kind of the different levers and yeah. how they're impacting. Because everyone's like, I want rates lower because I want to lock into a lower mortgage rate. But then you're like, well, what? why is the Fed lowering rates? And those are going to be conditions that most people or many people aren't going to be happy with. Yeah. And I think especially after the experience the last couple of years where inflation got away from the Fed, I wonder how aggressive they will be in their next cutting cycle. Unless right. things are very bad. You know, I think two and a half is kind of the right now, as I'm speaking at this point in time, two and a half is kind of the new zero. After the great financial crisis, that zero feds funds rate kind of became the floor. Whereas before that two to two and a half percent was kind of the floor. I think hopefully the Fed will start to continue to maintain that at least for the near, you know, short to medium term, but who knows what, what could happen. Yeah. I mean, that is probably the one uh, thing we can be sure of is nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. But it's always fun to to speculate, right? Yes. Well, (laughs) and many people make their living doing that. Yeah. (laughs) I could sit here all day with you. I appreciate you uh, sharing just what I know is a small piece of your knowledge. Before we kind of get closer to wrapping up, do you maybe want to share, want to talk about a couple of myths or misunderstandings? I know you and I get questions from either clients or friends or other people we know. 
I don't, I'm going to let you pick. I know we talked about a couple of them, but I'll let you pick one that uh, you may want to discuss or highlight. Yeah. So I think it's a great question. I'd rather not dispel myths because myths often lead to mispricings. Um, ah. <laughs> we want to take advantage of mispricings. I'd say the the boogeyman of pension liabilities in the municipal market is, is kind of the biggest myth. It feels like every six months, there's a big headline that comes about comes out about unfunded liabilities. And recently there was a couple of Hoover Institute analysts who released a report about pension liabilities at the end of 2022. Okay. And they were one and a half trillion. Media ran with a headline. It was a good uh, point in time to run pension liabilities because 2022 was a really bad year for the market. S&P was down yeah. 20%. Now that, that liability will be significantly lower because the S&P was up 30% last year. Yeah, 26. 26. And pension contributions were were very strong last year as well. Municipalities put a lot of money away. They invest yeah, so a lot of money. Two things that'll help that when yes. you find their sales. The, the headline is kind of misleading, but pension plans across all states and lo- localities are 80% funded. That's a healthy level. It's you know not 100%. You'd like to see 100%. But that 20% underfunding, it's not due tomorrow. It's not due five years from now. It's not due 15 years from now. It's a discounted cash flow going out decades. Your average municipal bond portfolio is seven to 11 years. Just based off of that basic juxtaposition, it's kind of a moot liability at this point. That 1.5 trillion, which is probably less today, Mm -hmm. is not due over your typical municipal bond portfolio average duration. In terms of that liability, 1.5 trillion, it's a big number that's due decades from now. Municipalities spend anywhere about 3.5 trillion per year. So over 20 years, that's only 2% of expenditures per year. At this point in time, they're completely affordable and, and manageable. And what you've seen is contributions to pension plans for your average municipality have has really picked up across all 50 states since the great great financial crisis. And then lastly, and kind of most importantly about these liabilities is there's been significant reform to make them more affordable since the great financial crisis. Every single state, all 50 states have initiated one major reform since 2009. So what you see in these reforms is they're moving away from defined benefit to defined contribution to even hybrid or 401k-like plans. So these structures reduce risk to taxpayers, therefore bondholders, and it gives states and pensioners more confidence in the pension benefits actually being paid from them. Right. And so because you're talking about long dated liabilities, these reforms are going to take years, decades to play out. And you're starting to see it play out, but yeah. the reforms have, have really been been significant. And so the pension myth, as, we, as it stands here today, is overblown in my opinion. For certain states, you want to pay very close attention to it, where we're residing here today, yeah. Illinois, for, on average, 44, 45% funded. In terms of the credit research triage, that's kind of the first lens you look through when you're looking at an Illinois municipality. But for your average municipal bond from Boston to Sacramento, it's the pension situation is is not a crisis. All right. Well, I think if anything, a couple of the takeaways for our listeners to summarize would be with really anything that you're going to be investing in. But we did talk about how vast, you know, Matt said there's $4 trillion in the municipal bond market. I don't even know how many, what, tens of thousands of issuers? Tens of th- yeah, I think it's over 50,000. Okay. Yeah. So 50,000 issuers, that's 50,000 different municipalities that you would have to examine I think this really is one where you really want to understand, you want to look below 
the covers or underneath the hood yes. to just like you said, you can't just say, oh, all pensions are underfunded or overfunded or correctly funded. So I think it is really a thing of know what you're investing and then uh, just making sure that it's, you know, you understand what it is and why it is in your portfolio. Well, especially in Illinois, <laughs> yeah. where you have, you know, one of the themes of our, our active management is good credits in bad states. And Illinois gives a lot of good examples of that. Yeah, that's a great, that is a good example yeah. or a good uh, point to bring up. Because when I say bad state, it's Illinois, I think is the lowest rated state in the country, fiscally troubled. But within Cook County, which is investment grade, but lower investment grade rating, which is in a state that's even lower rated, you have at least five AAA rated cities, towns, or school districts. The entire corporate bond market doesn't have five AAA rated names. You have S&P, which is AAA, rates that AAA telling you that there's five towns in Cook County and Illinois that are better than the US government. So kind of a unique yeah. contrast there. Well, I think we'll get lots of uh, good listens on this podcast because there's a lot to know and we barely touch the surface. But I do want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your time and some of your knowledge. I appreciate you. I think, as you know, I ask all my guests a fun question. If you didn't have any, and this will be interesting if you're a bond guy this after our whole conversation, but if you didn't have any constraints, no fiscal constraints, you didn't have to be anywhere physically because of family or work yeah. or anything like that. Where would you most like to live and why? Yeah, well, I, the, I guess the biggest constraint is the children, right? The family. And <laughs> my wife and I, we, we love where we live mostly because family's all there. But yeah, which is awesome. We would definitely choose probably to relive part of our honeymoon uh, on Lake Como. It's where we started the honeymoon. So it's got a really special place for us. But it, Lake Como is also just amazing. Absolutely insane where you have this. You're at the base of a lake and the lake is beautiful and it's this tropical climate. And then it's surrounded by these very steep hills and mountains, you know, not to mention the food and the Italian architecture. So probably Lake Como, I'd like to. I, love it. <laughs> I, forget, I haven't been there yet. So okay. it's on the list. It's easy to get to. Perfect. Because you fly to Milan and then it's maybe an hour, a couple hours I'm to get to there. i to talk to you guys, get some tips. It often competes with Almalfi in Italy, but yeah. it's a lot easier to get to than Almalfi. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much. I loved it. That was a great conversation. You ended with me wanting to go to Italy. So <laughs> don't yeah. we all though, right? Yeah. You know, and I appreciate your comments about the bond market because the bond market overall dwarfs by many factors, the stock market. And it has been kind of a non-entity for a number of years for obvious reasons. Uh, interest rates being low and returns in the market, stocks being so high. Thanks for the conversation. Really appreciate it. Nicole, if Folks listening want to get a hold of you, have more of a conversation about this or other things. How would they reach out to you? Uh, if they want to get reach out to me, uh, the best way to do that is through our website, myprivatevista.com. On our homepage near the upper right-hand corner, there's a contact us button. So you can just put your information there. Please reference this podcast. Or they could call our uh, receptionist at 312-831-4370. And they can be connected with me or one of um, our other fabulous advisors. Matt, did you want to put out any contact information if any of our listeners had questions for you? My direct line is 312-281-2015. Um, you can get me there and happy to answer any questions they might have. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, listeners. 
Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss another edition of this podcast when it rolls out. And I know after listening to this, you will not want to do that. You will want to be sure to be listening in with Nicole and her insights. We'd like it, too, if you would um, humbly rate this podcast and like it and share it with other people. Spread the word about the podcast. That We appreciate that as well. For everybody at My Private Vista, I'm Bill Tucker, thanking you for listening and reminding you that you can go out today and make it a great day. Or not, it's your choice. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Private Vista is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions, or results obtained from the use of this information. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced. Such data and other information are subject to changes without notice. This was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Bernardi Securities, BSI, is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commissions and FINRA as a broker-dealer and is a member of MSRB and SIPC. BSI is also affiliated with Bernardi Asset Management, BAM, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. BAM is a wholly owned subsidiary of BSI. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. BSI and BAM make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. 
BSI, and BAM assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Bernardi Securities and Bernardi Asset Management.